0: Anybody got any clue as to where this might be? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) On a mountain, yes. Some of y'all met Noah when Noah and Michaela were up here in the area before they went to China. This is Noah when he was working in Germany. And when he was there and he was off, he would do things like climb up the side of these hills they call Alps in Germany. And this is on the top of one of those locations. And as you can see, he's above the cloud line. Do you see the cloud is below him there? And the funny thing is, there's a little bird right there too. (laughs) Keeping him company. Now, now got to thinking about mountaintop experiences, and that, to see that kind of a vista would be a a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. And we use that idea of a mountaintop experience for the, for those times when when there's a lot of joy when we're when we're pumped up. Uh, we, we use it a lot with uh, kids going to camp and and having uh, an opportunity to to really have a joy and fellowship with other kids in the Lord. Or maybe you go to a concert and you really get pumped up. But we have these these mountaintop experiences. They've been happening for a long time. You remember Moses? Moses went up on the side of Mount Sinai. And he basked in the glory of the Lord. So much so that when he came down, his face glowed for days. Yet as he came down off that mountain... He returned to find the Israelites were writhing in rebellion, for they had taken a gold and made this golden idol. Elisha, we—I mean Elijah—we read about him. We talked about him a few weeks ago, um, where, where where he took off and he went down to that same mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb where Moses was generations before and God comforted him. And yet there came a point in time when he had to go down the mountain and back across the country and face Ahaz and Jezebel and their paganism. Jesus has a has a mountaintop experience on an undisclosed mountain outside of Caesarea Philippi and while he's there Moses and Elijah we we call that the mount of of transfiguration right or something was different there. And yet, when he comes down from that experience, he returns to find his disciples embroiled in a debate as an anxious father desperately awaits someone, anyone, to help free his son from the life threatening grip of possession. What's going on here? Jesus asked. What are you arguing about? A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Sounds like the disciples were not idle while Jesus was away. Just like the people of Israel where they were waiting for Moses. But instead of rushing into evil, they were trying to do good. That's what they were doing. Trying to help this boy who in modern medical terms was suffering from a grand mall. Seizure. And in fact, in Matthew, where this is told, Matthew 17 15, Matthew uses a word that translates very well as epilepsy. Epilepsy. By the way, just because medical science comes with a word for something does not mean that they understand it or that they can cure it anybody heard the term virus do you know what that means it means I don't know what it is but it'll probably go away on its own multiple system atrophy you ever heard of that my cousin Kevin my age wound up with this multiple system atrophy and over the course of almost 15 years, he just slowly died. Because they they could look at him and they could tell that his body was, was shutting down. All of the systems were shutting down, but they couldn't figure out why. Ataxia, that's a name that, a word that... Uh, Joy and I, our family is very well familiar with, ataxia. Do you know what it means? All of it means is an abnormal gait, somebody that's not walking in the way most people walk. That's all that it means. It's not a diagnosis. It's an observation. Naming a symptom does not get rid of a symptom. Yes or yes? What gets rid of the problem? Fighting the cause gets rid of the symptom, right? Okay, this boy had seizures, but his problem was not the seizure, but the presence of an unclean spirit that refused to leave, which begs the question, why? Why? The disciples obviously had been given the power to heal and to cast out demons. Mark 6, three chapters ahead. The twelve went out and preached that people should repent. And what did they do? They drove out demons. They anointed sick. And those people were healed. So they obviously already had that by the time we get to chapter 9 right? They were obviously experienced. What was the catch this time? I got three words. You know what they are? I don't know. Bring the boy to me, Jesus said. So they brought him and When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy on the ground into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and he rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I want you to note something here. Jesus is not just interested in the boy's welfare. He's also interested in the condition of the father. Do you hear what he just did? Jesus knows everything. He knows what's going on. Why does he ask the dad What's going on? Because you know he already knows. Could it be that he wanted to give the man a chance to tell his story? To lay out his concern? To listen? You can almost imagine the desperation in this man's voice having tried everything that he knew he brought the boy seeking the healer that he had he had heard about but but not finding Jesus but his followers he allows them to try to help the boy but it's to no avail can you blame him for being on the edge of hopelessness i mean if jesus followers can't help him is, is the healer going to be able to do any better? And yet, the man says, if you can do anything, please help us. Now, in the original language, what gets translated as if into English could could be three or four different things. The the force of the language here is maybe you can, maybe you can't. You ever approach God that way? God help me, but I'm not really sure if you can or can't, but I could use some help. By the way, it's a prayer he'll answer. Jesus picks up on his words, and there in verse 23, he says, if you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was Running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out and to never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. I would hope that I'm not alone. Uh, I'm I'm sure many of you have read this over before and you've got your own thoughts about it, but perhaps maybe you've read it like me and you see Jesus repeating the man's words, if you can, as as a recognition of his doubt. We do that, don't we? When doubt creeps in, that becomes our focus. Have you ever heard of the man who asked a tightrope walker, How are you able to walk on that thin rope so high above the city? The entertainer took a board and placed it on the ground. And he said, Why don't you walk over this? And of course, the man said, Well, I can do that. Walked right over it. So the entertainer then. Put it about six inches off the ground, and he says, Walk over it again. The guy says, I can do that. Okay. And then he says, If I were to suspend this board between two buildings, would you still walk across it? And the man said, Of course not. I'd be too scared. And he said, Why? What's the difference? It's the same board. Why is it that we can trust Jesus with our salvation when all is well, yet as soon as things get rough, doubt comes. Is it Is it doubt or is it, or is it fear? Friends, fear and faith cannot coexist. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That was going to be the lesson for the day. And then I I thought better of it. And I got to looking at this again and thinking about the man's question, his statement, if you can if you can what if Jesus instead of chastising this man is trying to teach him something What what is it he's trying to teach him everything is possible for him who believes and then Jesus drives out the unclean spirit. What's the implication of that? Even if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can do what you can tell this mountain to move and it will go into the sea. Yes? By the way, that's your memory verse for today. Mark 9 23. When you read through scripture and you're reading through those stories and you start thinking about what's really going on, what we notice is that faith moves the hand of Jesus. Over and over in the Gospels, we see a distinct connection between faith and Jesus' healing. And that comes up especially in Mark's Gospel. This hurting father had enough faith to bring his son to Jesus. Regardless of how small he thought his faith was, it was enough. It was enough. Because you see, friend, the power is not in our faith. The power is in Jesus, if you have enough faith to step out and come down this aisle and ask God's forgiveness, forgiveness can be found because it's in Jesus. If you have enough faith to give this day to God, you can live it in Jesus. If we are willing, He is able. That cross upon which Jesus died not only paid for the sins of the world, my friend, it pays for your sins when you put your faith in Jesus. And sometimes, sometimes our circumstances are going to seem more bleak than they really are. Let's finish this story. Let's get back to verse 26. The spirit shrieked, Convulsed him violently and came out, and the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. That's not really the outcome or the kind of healing that that father was looking for, was it? He wanted freedom from that unclean spirit. not for a son to die. But get this. Get this. See, sometimes it pays to read the whole book. By the way, you can read through Mark in less than an hour. But you look at Mark's gospel. Chapter 1. Verse 31. Jesus took Peter's Mother in law took her when she was sick by the hand and raised her up. Chapter 5 Jesus took Jairus's dead daughter by the hand and raised her up. Chapter 9, verse 27. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him. It's the word raised him to his feet and he stood up. It's exactly the same word in all three places. Matthew, Luke, John, and Paul all use that same exact word. Word when they are talking about Jesus raising people from the dead and his own resurrection. You see, Mark literally says that Jesus resurrected the boy. He started that back in chapter 1. With Peter's mother-in-law. You see, Mark alludes all the way through his gospel. Directly alludes to the resurrection power of Christ through all of the healing stories that he talks about. Isn't that neat? How much faith do you have, my friend? Are you going to let doubt and fear feed on you? Or are you going to act on the faith that you have and move toward the risen Christ? As I pray, why don't you make a decision whether you're going to live a life by fear or live a life by faith. Father God, We thank you for those individual stories, but we also thank you, Lord, for the sweep of scripture that talks about how you created and you loved and you have sought after mankind since the beginning of time. And you have provided ways through time for people to learn who you are and to learn who we can be because you were there and you live and you seek a relationship with us. We thank you, Father, for those stories of Christ. How the touch of his hand can raise us up and we can be more with you than we could ever be by ourselves. Father, you know that doubt will creep in. You know there are times when fear will grip us. May we look to the cross and the empty tomb. And may we see you beyond what stands in our way. We thank you for this time of reflection, Lord, this time of decision. Strengthen us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.